Just let that play for a while. <laughs> for 58 minutes, and we'll talk for two. <laughs> 15 minutes, we got a half hour show going. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Floor You podcast. I am Paul Pleshek, as always, joined by my partner in crime, Sonny Callahan. Sonny, how are you doing? Hello, hello. How are you? Can't complain. Never complain. I don't don't ask my wife that question. (laughs) She she might tell the truth. Yeah, you might get the full skinny on that one. (laughs) We are joined today by Jennifer Fowler with Concrete Insight. Jennifer, how are you doing today? I'm great. Glad to be on. Glad to have you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely glad to have you. It's a it's a, it'll be an interesting conversation. I think it's going to be something that's going to be interesting for people that are in flooring right now that are considering getting into polished concrete and just want some more overall knowledge of concrete. So looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be it's great a thing to do um, to chat with people that have been pros in the industry forever and they're wanting to kind of expand in a area that they don't know as much about and be the person to help them get there. So we uh, we skipped last week's show, Thanksgiving week. Yeah, he was lazy. Yeah, no, it was me. That, no, it was all me. It was all me, folks. It was 100% me. I could not find time to get it done last week. So hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving, though, for sure. Did you? I had a great um, Thanksgiving. It was... Um... It was really easy. I was down kind of near Atlantic City, and um, a bunch of us all cooked together and uh, sat around, had way too much wine and um, some really great food. And that's that sounds good, like the perfect day. Yeah, it's a great chance to just relax. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, we have it at our house every year because we've got the most kids, so may as well have the mess here because it's already here. <laughs> You don't have to pack up all those kids and go no. somewhere else. Well, plus I can have a beer or 12 and not have to drive anywhere afterwards. And that helps. Too. <laughs> yeah, I stayed over. I made it easy. I just stayed over and came back the next morning. So, so very it's all, nice. Yeah. Back to Philadelphia. So. Yeah. We yeah, had well, a, uh, we had a really low key one here at the house. We didn't even have all our kids. Uh, just some of the family had another family come over who also doesn't have family in the area. So there's only eight of us. And uh, as soon as we were done eating, my son and I, we got in the car, South Carolina, drove down to Orlando and went to the car show in Daytona. So spent the weekend down in Orlando. So that was, uh, that was a fun time. We do that every year. So yeah. Speaking of, we should plan a school for bike week. Oh, that, (laughs) yeah. You don't go anywhere near Daytona and bike week. (laughs) (laughs) That was there once. Yeah. Yeah. that was a little rowdy. Or just like when you were in college. No, no, it was probably 10 years ago now, but <laughs> so I say 10 years, it was probably 15, 17 years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Time flies. Well, we'll be close next week though, Paul. We'll be right down the road, literally 30 miles from there. 30 miles. Yeah, we're doing AMI Kids next week. We're going to do the the school and uh Looking forward to that very much. So Jennifer, we'll, uh, we can tell you, we didn't, we didn't talk about this in a warm-up at all, but uh, one thing that we do through NAFCT is, well, we, we, train, um, we train inspectors, okay. and we train through the IICRC, and we also train through the CFI. We host their classes. But uh, one thing that we found is there's no one teaching resilient installation training. Right. So we've got the shortage of installers, but we also have a shortage of helpers. So what we've done is we've put together a two week course, a boot camp, if you will, where we're going to take kids who don't know anything about flooring and we're going to teach them the basics of flooring so they can go out and get a job as a flooring technician. We're not going to call them helpers, a flooring technician and uh, help them find jobs, help with job placement and get more fresh blood into the industry. So if you know anybody who's doing polished concrete, who needs helpers, we're going to start doing it. Uh, We're working with a group called AMI Kids, and we've talked about this group before, AMI Kids. Oh, wow. It's a a great nonprofit organization that, um, who did I say that, Rashad, what is her name, Paul? (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
She's oh. married to the football player. She was on the Cosby show. Uh, Felicia oh. Rashad. Felicia Rashad. She is their spokesperson. Thank you. Glad you were here. <laughs> Drew a blank. She's their national spokesperson, but they have locations all across the United States. And we're hoping that we can use their system to kind of feed the flooring industry a bunch of new helpers. And this is our first one next week. We're really excited for it. And uh, we can't wait to get it going. Well, that's so. interesting. Maybe at some point we can add little bits of the polishing into it. And that will help the polishing industry and all of the floor, flooring contractors in that are going into polishing um, as well. Right. No, that'd be great. Love to do it. So now we've got we've got Paul and myself who are going to be down there. Uh, we've got Don Jewell from Lobavacal. He's going to come down and do a day of training. We've got uh, Graham Capabianco from Lidditz Flooring. He's going to come down. Um, and then we've got Seth Bavarnik. Do what? Yes, yeah, Seth's going to make it. Seth's going to come down, and he's going to do some hands-on underlayment training with these kids. So I think by the time they come out, they're going to – you know, even if they just retain 20% of it, they're going to get a lot of information thrown at them. So I'm excited about it. That's super. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting, you know, as an add-on at some point, you could um, take once that underlayment is applied, you could actually do an overlayment and, and polish the overlayment. Right. So, so that might be an area. Or um, for the surface preparation, use a concrete grinder and talk a little bit about how that grinding um, translates to when you're grinding um, in the beginning of the stages during the polishing process. Oh, that'd so be great. That might be another way to kind of get people to understand how those two relate to each other. Well, th this two-week class is going to be a feeder class for a four or five-week, you know, training to when they come out, they'll be a mechanic. You know, they can actually go out and do installations. Concrete polishing would be a great addition to that course. Would don't you agree there, Mr. Plichet? Oh, absolutely. And I and I think the business we're gonna we're gonna involve a business aspect of it as well. Yeah. And on how to run their own business if they especially in the in the five week or the longer course. How yeah. to get into business, where to start, get into the taxes, get into everything that they need to know so that they can get out and just do it all on their own if that's what they decide or they can go find somewhere to uh to to work for well and we see that now we see that now with on the on the page that we were talking about earlier the flooring stallers of america we see these guys and gals who are making good money doing floor covering but they don't have the business skills to manage that money and they're ended up ended up being in trouble where they should have plenty of money so you know, the business portion of it, we need to go ahead and offer that just for existing installers too. That may be an avenue. So. Yeah, I might I might sit through that one myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all use a little uh, brush up on that one, right? I'm yeah, isn't that the case? Isn't yeah. that the case? We actually have another uh, announcement for a class that's coming up uh, a bit out yet, but we got it worked out. We're going to do another uh, hardwood inspection class in... Uh, in Madison at the Forest Products Lab, June 10th through the 15th. Yep. Looking forward to that. That was the that was the most fun I've had giving a class since we started doing this. Yeah, last um, year that was absolutely the best class, best class I've ever attended. So, and Alex is Alex Wiedenhoff is uh, one of the lead researchers at the USDA Forest Products Lab. He's going to be speaking again, and we're going to be doing the the program in the in the house that they have there to be able to do some hands-on with that. It's it, that was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And June in Wisconsin is a lot better than now. Uh, I was going to say that I grew up in Minnesota and um, June in Madison is a good time of year versus yes, right about now. In fact. So yeah, so. I thought about doing it in February, March, but that could impact attendance. You, you, it, it will impact <laughs> unless you also do snowmobiling or some other activity. Ice fishing, it's, maybe. It's yeah. bad enough we're doing February in Aliquippa for the heat well <laughs> class. <laughs> so that's, not, you know, that's not good either. I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you that their weather gets to be a little gray, cold, and rainy and snowy. Yes. Yes. All of the above. So. So. That's June 10th through the 15th. We'll have more information coming out about that, but everybody gets the first uh, announcements on the podcast. 
So, Jennifer, what was your, you're with Concrete Insight now. We know that you work in concrete polishing. We talk a lot on the podcast about career path and try to give uh, the listeners and, and the viewers some idea of when you're in the industry, what are your options? Where do you, where do you start? And then where can I go from here? Is this, you know, I get into installation. Is, is that what, why is that not a dead end job? And it's okay. definitely not. So where did you start and what was your path to where you are now and what are you doing right now? Yeah, so thank you. Um, I'll start first with um, Concrete Insight um, is my own consulting firm. And um, I also am a subcontractor um, with LGM and Associates, um, which is a floor covering installing consulting firm, which I think everybody knows. Um, um, and maybe you even know the name, Lou. Um, but, but, uh, but the history really goes back all the way to when I was 15 and I started painting houses. And um, so I think one of the things about being an installer is that I got the satisfaction every day of a job well done. And I saw something that was physical and visual that I could see that I accomplished each and every day. And that's either something that makes somebody excited to do more of and they find that they're interested in the quality of it and how can they do it better and how they can do it faster and how can they be, you know, all of the things, what equipment do you need to do it better, faster, and how do all that, all that comes together. Or it's really boring and you hate your work and you don't want to get up in the morning and, and that happens. And I think if even in the very beginning stages, if that's what it would have been for me, and I wouldn't have been excited to get there and excited to learn more and excited to do this better and, and all that went with it, that I wouldn't have ended up in this industry. Um, so sometimes I think it comes, it's very basic. It's even some silly job you're doing when you're very young um, that you either really enjoy and you want to do more of, or you really are, are regretting getting up in the morning and having to go do it. And so for me, that passion of kind of doing something well, seeing a result and trying to figure out how to be better at that, I think is really the, the message that's moved me forward. And as I went forward, I finished college and I got into marketing and advertising and I, I was a business person and I uh, ended up opening up a um, distribution company in Seattle, Washington um, for surface preparation and protection equipment and materials. And the reason I did that was because I bought into a paint stripper, an industrial paint stripping company that I had the rights from um, the Missis Mississippi River West. So I had all those states that I was now the master distributor for. And so I put together a distribution company so that we could then make that network of distributors to dealers and started training them and teaching them how to do these things. And that's all surface preparation. Um, and once any time you have a surface prepared, then what do you do with it? Um, now we either had a failure, so we stripped something off, which, you know, you have an issue with the floor covering and you need to remove it, figure out what's the matter. And then do we use the same adhesive or not? And, and do we reinstall a different way, the same way? What are we doing? So in the case with me, what I found was once we removed something for somebody, and a lot of them were floor co co coating, excuse me, and or mastics, black cutback mastics, whatever, the next thing people would be saying to me is, what should we be putting back on this? And so, um, or how do we get it? How do we get the black out of the pores? We stripped this, but we didn't get this out of the pores. What other um, tools can we use? What other processes can we use? So I kept searching. We kept um, adding more things to our distribution um, and what we what we sold. Um, and at one point in time, when I was, I had epoxies on my line. We did vertical waterproofing. We did. Um, cleaning and sealing of masonry. We did cleaning of um, exterior concrete surfaces. We did all sorts of different things that we were selling products for. Um, one of my customers said um, that the first concrete grinding machine was being shipped into his brother's 
um, office, which was Innovatech, which is the person that made, we used to rent their um, Terminators, which is a tile popping machine. So when I got the tile popping machines, we used to rent to contractors. You sat on a milk crate and they had a number one that was in masking tape on the side of it. And so we, we would rent number one, number two, number three, or number four Terminator. And these were before they were painted, before there was anything. It was just a metal box with a milk crate on top and a couch cushion. And we taught people how to run these things and they would pop tile. So once they pop tile, they have mastic, yada, yada. So I got to know the people at Innovatech. And when their first concrete grinder came into the United States in Seattle, Washington, they also had another one that was flown into um to Vic International, which doesn't exist anymore in Tennessee. So those were the two that came in at the same time. Um, the one in Washington got basically uncrated at my office, at my warehouse. And we polished with, with his brother, I polished my concrete um, office that weekend. And we had no idea what we were doing. We bolted diamonds onto the bottom of the machine. We, we were just fit, trying to figure this process out. And that's really how I got introduced. And that was in 1996, very early. Um, made a, And um, so we polished that floor. It turned out great. I, in, I introduced color into that floor. It polished beautifully. I don't know. I guess we got very lucky, I guess, probably what I can say. <laughs> but, <laughs> Beginner's uh, luck. <laughs> that, it was, it, I, and I was so excited. I can't even tell you how excited I was. I was just to the moon that this was like the most incredible thing. There was no coating on it. There was no wax on it. There was no epoxy on it. This thing was shiny. You could you could do whatever you wanted with this thing. And so that week, actually, the following week, I um, recorded a video on how to polish concrete. And I and then I the later that week I recorded another video about polishing concrete with color in it, and that really was kind of the beginning of everything that started to occur. And my office became the showroom for polished concrete for the whole West Coast. And I had architects in there daily, and I was talking to people and interfacing, um, and I just became so excited about everything to do with this um, <laughs> that I started. Um, teaching the architects how to specify it, what we were doing with it, and what must be done and, and how to do it. And, it's good to be passionate about something, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it makes I, your job easier when you love it, right? It is, <laughs> it's not it's, work. It's a lot of fun that way. So that was kind of the whole start of it, the ball. And um, within six months, I, trained, I was teaching people how to polish concrete. And we actually did those at Innovatech. And we used HTC machines because that was the first one in, that was in the country. And um, I, I started, so I basically, I taught people to polish concrete for almost 12 years while I had my distribution business, while I had another general contracting business, and um, while I had a, um, another consulting business. And that was my favorite thing to do, though. So um, I eventually ended up moving to the East Coast. That's why I'm now in Philadelphia. And um, took on the um, role of um, managing the brand of a specific companies of polished concrete, their densification brand, and all of their other chemistry lines for their all of their um, basically technical work. So I kind of moved out of having those businesses and moved into um, something where I could really make more of a profound difference on the polished concrete industry and concrete industry as a whole. And it was a big opportunity, especially for a woman in, in a man's industry, I'll have to say. <laughs> so you, we talked a little bit leading into the, the podcast about, about concrete, and that is what you work with every day. And part of the discussion was how walking in, you know that there's differences between slabs. And we know that. We try to explain that in the substrates courses and so forth that you know, just because you see a concrete subfloor doesn't mean that it's the same as every other floor you've been on. What are some of the things that have, that affect polishing and and prep for polishing, and how do you address those? How do you how do you pre-inspect the slab, and then how do you address those concerns? 
So um, I guess there's probably three answers there. There's probably 103 answers, but we'll go with three. Um, so there's the first, which is it's new construction. So at that point, we're dealing with hopefully we get to be ahead of the game and we can deal with what the mixed design is. Or we can talk to the architects about things like flatness, um, FF numbers or um, level levelness, um, FL numbers, how the elevations are changing, um, where the joint patterns are, um, what the PSI of that concrete is, um, what the how they're curing that concrete, um, because that matters a lot. So, um, for example, a, a lichen floor lichen floor covering, you don't want somebody to put a um, a cure and seal product as the cure on that surface because now you have this acrylic coating on that surface that what has to happen before you can do anything even with floor coverings is remove it. So, and it pollutes some of the pore structure um, on the surface. So you need to be make sure you got rid of, you get rid of that. And it just, it makes everything harder. Similarly in um, concrete polishing, that's not something that we're wanting to have happen and it's much better if the surface is water cured so that's kind of the whole a little bit of that path in the new construction and then you get into an existing um, slab that has a floor covering on it well of course we can't see through that floor covering so none of us know what that piece of concrete looks like at all so at that point if there's an opportunity the beautiful thing is to be able to do a mock-up so where the if you know who that concrete con polisher is going to be and and they can come in and actually remove part of that floor covering um uncover the con to get to the concrete remove the mastic or whatever's on there remove the overlayment whatever underlayment the leveling compound whatever's all on that to actually get to see what the concrete looks like underneath because we can't see where trenches are, we can't see if there are multitudes of different slab pores, we can't see if it's cracked, we can't see if it's stained, we can't see any of that. So of course that's gonna be, um, and we're not gonna cover it up again. So we don't get the benefit of, oh, there are two different color pores or there's a trench and all we need to do is, le not all, but what we need to do is level it out and then we can uniformly install some sort of manufactured product to put back over it and now it looks good again. So instead we're stuck with, oh, there's a trench here. Is this going to be acceptable to the that particular owner or that particular um, user? And um, so a lot of that then is um, a conversation about expectations and what is expected, what will they accept, what um, can we deliver, and if those three things can come together and meet, then there's the opportunity to polish a floor. Then there's actually let's do a mock-up, see what we get, and see if they actually like it. Um, so, so there's a number of steps there. You know, there also can be a warehouse that's never had anything on it except maybe um, a hardener or something to that on it where we can see the concrete. And in that third scenario, the question is, how hard is that surface? And um, how thick is that cap and how hard troweled was that? And how hard is it going to be able for us to get to grind through that to get to the point where we're creating a flat uniform surface that we can then build back up to get it to look like a polished surface? because um, the, the concrete needs to be ground uniformly first, just like a foundation of a building. We need to have a good foundation before we can build back up again. In concrete grinding and polishing, um, that first cut or that first grind on that, brand, on that warehouse floor um, is critical in order for the rest of it to get polished properly. So um, in that case, you're dealing with hardness of that cap and is the hardness of the cap because of how it was troweled, just like what we deal with in floor coverings, that needs to be penetrated, removed, get to the point where it's water absorbent, get to the point where you can, you, it's clean and able to clean get up. Concrete, right. Yes, yes, same thing. It's a similar process right there. The difference is we're also dealing with, we need to, 
put scratches in the floor that are completely uniform across 100% of that surface to give that, that surface a uniform um, foundation. And during that process, we're also trying to flatten that floor. Because what, is it, what is your flatness tolerance when you're doing polishing? So it's mostly up to the finish that somebody's looking for. It's really not so much about a number. Um, I mean, for in new construction, we would like to have an FF35 or higher. We would, and the FL number is not that important because we can polish even a, you know, a slope. We can mm. polish ramps, yeah. for example. Okay, so I've, you know, we polished auditoriums that have slopes to their to their floors. So it's possible to polish um, a ramp or a slant, but it's. If you have a very undulating slab, so there are, are multitudes of either curl, curled um, joints or there's just kind of a little bit more not uniform, um, a little undulation going on. Um, when grinders go over it, and you guys have all seen it, you're going to see larger aggregate where it's higher and you're going to see lower or no aggregate where it's lower. And the only way we're going to get a uniform polish is by getting to the point where we have the low and the high at a, at almost the same level. It doesn't need to be the same level because there's some ability to have the machine kind of work that. But um, and that's going to why I said that is it's it's going to be driven on if that um, owner is looking for a completely uniform, the same size rock over the entire or fine aggregate sand over the entire surface, then number one, we need a flatter slab to begin with. And number two, it also dictates how much grinding of that first step is going to need to be done to get to get those levels, um, those tiny little bird baths and dips in that floor um, to uniform themselves out. And um, some of that's gotten taken care of because there's, it's no one's fault. It's not the, um, it's certainly not the concrete polisher's fault if you have um, a curled joint. A curled joint is a curled joint, okay? They didn't do it. So when they go over it with their grinder, it basically scalps that because it's higher and you're going to get more rock exposed on a curled joint. And right next to it where it's, it's, um, the low part of it, you're almost going to see an, a hollow line where there's hardly any exposure of rock. And then you'll go into the floor where you might see fine aggregate or sand exposure. And that would not be the polisher's fault. So in the Concrete Polishing Council, um, which I've been on the technical committee, the board, and the education committee for years, we finally gotten some standards put together for those three types of finishes where it says 90% of the floor must be X and 10% can be all aggregate, for example. And what that does is it allows for all the joints in the entire project to be um, exposed aggregate and the rest of the floor to be fine aggregate and it still ends up being um, an acceptable floor by a standard that's written in the industry. What well, so doesn't that? Go ahead, Tony. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, on the on the curling, yeah. How how when you polish that concrete, how permeable is the surface? Are you completely capping that surface off? Because sometimes that 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 crown will come back if you complete or relax and go back if you you know if it's allowed to dry properly. So I mean, is that an issue that you see? Generally speaking, I would say no. So what does occur that's the issue is that the joint um, filler that's used, and usually it's like a two-component polyurea type product, but that joint filler may separate from one side or the other side. And so you may have a failure of bond on one side or the other because of expansion and contraction of that slab. Um, and that is the part that really then gets detailed back again. And concrete polishers um, over the years have been picking up the understanding of also doing joints and learning concrete repair 
because of those two areas. So then they have a concrete saw if they need it, they can actually go through and um, saw out failed joint sealant and re replace it with clean joint sealant. And then it will bond to both sides because you have a clean cut on both sides of that joint. And therefore then will remain flush and will remain bonded to both sides. So that that's really where it comes in more. It's not as evident um, that if we do grind down that curl, because that's probably a 32nd of an inch or something to that effect, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't tend to affect and all of a sudden it's lower than the rest of the floor or did something odd like that. Okay. So there's no, so in our world, when we have, at least when we have moving joints in the flooring world, we care, we're supposed to carry the floor, the, the joint all the way to the surface. So with, in your world, you just, it's still butted together. You just put some kind of compound ceiling compound in there and then you just go up to it. So we, we are um, filling it. Um, we're actually overfilling and then we are razor blading to flush. Right. So, okay. so we do um, overfill and razor blade to flush. Um, and it is important. That's usually now done after, either after or before the first grind of the concrete surface. I like to do it after the first grind because the surface is cleaner and the surface is more um, open and I'm able to get, uh, and then I do the saw cut. And at that point, once that's clean, I'm able to put in the fresh polyurea joint sealant, get it flush to that surface. Any overfill mark is then ground off by the very next um, diamond. And okay. therefore, there's no track of that joint sealant, which you see a lot in um, kind of large densification, retail chains, that type of thing like Walmarts. Because when they fill, because they're not always grinding that surface, you see the overfill on either side of a joint. Yeah, Lowe's is notorious for that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer, can you do us a favor and turn the notifications off on your phone? It's really loud coming through. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Definitely do that. I don't even know either. Yes. I, yeah. Um, let's see if I can. Just put it on vibrate. It'll be fine. Does the. Uh... I vibrate, but yes, I'm sorry. Um, oh, let me get that off. One second. I apologize. What's all going on? Not, but... not the first time. We all have phones go off on this thing. So. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah. How much does uh, polishing the concrete and, and finishing the concrete seal the vapor emissions? Does that seal it up completely, or do you still allow vapor emissions through the slab? It will definitely still allow vapor emissions through the slab. Mm -hmm. So it is, and so the slab will remain permeable. Um, it certainly tightens it up because just through that process of flattening and um, scratching that floor and then getting scratches finer and finer and finer and then using a densifier that penetrates and reacts um, with, in essence, the cement, okay, and helps make it more like it is when concrete cures, it gets harder. And... Um, it gets a little denser because it basically is adding a crystalline structure to the concrete pour. Um, so as it gets that little bit denser, um, it will be less permeable, but it does not stop um, moisture drive overall. Um, if you have not that bad of an issue with efflorescence or something else or moisture drive, it will probably bring it down below and you'll be able to put, um, a walk-off mat or whatever you want on it without really any effect. But if right, so do you do, do you, are you required to do moisture testing like we do in the flooring world? Do you have uh, calcium chloride limits or relative humidity limits or, or is it really not affected by, by the moisture? The only time, um, the only time we have um, issues with moisture is when there's a dye or a topical stain being used. And other than that, it's really not of issue to test for moisture. So um, a lot of times you'll see in specifications that it's just something they have standard in there. Right. Just they just copied and pasted from when they had flooring in there for sure. But it's, so it's 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 permeable enough that the little bit that comes up, it's not going to settle on the surface. You may have some efflorescence, especially at the joints, but not 
Okay. So it's, it's enough to pass through it. Yes. And every once in a while, you'll end up with efflorescence at that surface. It will drive and leave, kind of leave that salt behind. Um, and really there's, and I find that that happens sometimes when um, we've had a floor covering on the floor for a long period of time. And then that gets removed and then they decide they're going to polish that surface. And because you never saw it, if you had the floor covering on there. So now we take and we grind and we open that surface up. And now we're letting a lot of moisture drive easily be able to occur. And then we, we um, polish that surface. We close those pores some, but there's just so much more access to vapor drive. And there's so much more sensitivity of that floor to understand that its relative humidity and the air above its relative humidity are not in equilibrium. And so therefore that, that slab wants to bring, wants to bring moisture up. And so um, there are times when we end up with efflorescence at that surface. And basically the good news is in um, the polished concrete world, simply mopping that floor and making sure it's obviously we're not leaving water to sit everywhere. Um, you know, dry mop it afterwards just to get any excess. Um, and you do that basically until that, that surface just no longer is emitting, emitting that excess salt. Um, so it's a little bit of an annoyance, but it's, it's going to last for as long as it, I tell people, um, when you see a new masonry building on the exterior and for maybe the first year when it rains, you see that um, you kind of see the streaks of the of the mortar coming down that surface, that excess efflorescence or salts coming out of that mortar. And after about a year of raining on that building, no longer do we see the that kind of white streaks right. coming off of that building. Similar because it runs out of that ex the excess salt. And same thing with the floor; it'll run out of the excess salt. And at that point, we we'll, we may have moisture. Um, emitting, but we don't have the salt coming through and, and depositing. So if somebody wanted to get into polished concrete, so we we have a lot of installers that listen to the podcast, people that are, you know, retailers. From the from the start basic starting point, what do they have to do to get started polishing concrete and where do they where do they get trained to do that? I have no what's going on idea with my phone. Sorry, I apologize. I'm trying to make this my, <laughs> my, my, my notifications off and it's getting worse. Um, so no problem. there are, I, I, at this stage, there are a number of good distributors that distribute concrete polishing equipment and supplies. And they've done a very good job at educating their staff I think they have very good salesmen that are are good at understanding how to polish concrete, not just how to sell machines. Um, and I think that really it's about finding a company that you're um, comfortable with, somewhere located nearer to where you are, that and a person that you feel like you can have a relationship with, and have them have them show you they have classes that are um in their facilities that they can invite you to that are free and you can watch some of these things you can use the equipment you can see how it works you can you know kind of get an idea is this something you want you or your guys to be doing is this something that you want to move into um is it something interesting or is it, you know, more hassle, more different techniques, too many pieces of equipment, tools, um, too many different chemistries, then not really the vein that you're wanting to go down. And I mean, to me, that's because a lot of our equipment is very similar nowadays. I mean, everybody will tell you if they're a salesman that this one's better than this one. But I could take any one of those and polish a floor very, very well. Um, it's just me take a little different understanding of the equipment or, or the diamonds, whatever that is. But as far as an overall, I, you know, all of them will polish concrete and polish concrete well. And it's more of a preference and what's local, what's easy for you to get at, and what kind of 
what kind of um, jobs you're going to be working on because there's smaller and larger equipment also um, that you can choose from. So there's not really see... a certification or a, or a certifying body for concrete polishing at this point? There's so a council. I was surprised to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a council, and what I will tell you is that um, chemical companies in our industry will certify a company to install a specific system. So a specific company will have certain products and they sell them to a specific um, distributor and then that distributor with that equipment will have them come and together they will teach how to install that manufacturer's products um, to when polishing concrete. And you get a certificate from that manufacturer of that chemical stating that you have, um, that basically you have the right to use their, that they will sell you the products and that you're certified mm -hmm. to use and understand their products. So there's that kind of certification. Industry-wide, um, the ASCC, the American Society of Concrete Contractors, absorbed the Concrete Polishing Council of America um, uh, and about two and a half years ago. And now it's called the Concrete Polishing Council. So that is part of the American Society of Concrete Contractors now. And as of, and I know that's a lot, um, but as- oh, We have a lot of acronyms in our world too. So we just spit them out, people get lost. <laughs> <laughs> but as of about three months ago, they have a certification for what they call craftsmen again, okay? And they have a certification for tradesmen. And those are two certifications. Currently, those are both online certifications. Those are not um, hands-on. They're not at somebody's facility. And no performance testing. Correct. No performance testing for these. They... The last, um, uh, what, what's going to happen is there's going to be one more classification that's going to happen. And at that point in time, there will be, um, there will be almost like badges that somebody will have to get. They'll have to get a badge. And, and these will all be hands-on. These will be like one in hand grinding and one in um, dyes and one in joint cutting and filling and one in, uh, so there'll be all of these different um, specifics and when you get um, and I believe there are going to be 20 badges when you get all 20 of these badges then you will get the top certification I believe that'll be called a master craftsman and at that point in time when that moves forward in the industry then you'll probably start to see master craftsman contractors listed in a specification but right now it's not quite there yet as far as performance testing so it's in the tradesman and the journeyman as far as their um, two classifications. And you can get those tests done and then have, have a certification from, from not a manufacturer, from an actual organization that is technically training people to polish concrete. Who do you see getting into this more? Is, are you seeing uh, folks in the masonry world moving over into it or you see flooring installers moving over into co concrete polishing because like I, I said before the we've seen a lot on the flooring installers of america page where folks are trying to learn how to polish concrete how to put down epoxy floors you know a little bit different but you know similar um so we're, you know, for an industry for us that we're already short on qualified installers, it looks like we're losing some to that. Do you see that trend on your side or is it, is it more masonry construction or is there really a difference? I actually am seeing the same trend you're seeing. So meaning that I'm finding more and more floor covering flooring installers that are interested in concrete polishing. And I think it's, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you currently you do quite a bit of surface preparation at times when needed um, in order to, and it's seeming to be more and more required because more moisture testing is required, more moisture mm -hmm. control is being required because of all the different um, deals with, um, you know, all your... Because they only test for RH and it's always high, so... Oh. Yes, and that is <laughs> that's another subject. And it means nothing. 
people. <laughs> uh, I tend to agree with you, but but um, we can leave it at that. Um, <laughs> uh, I got to get one in every show. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So what I'm saying is, is that I think that people are seeing, you know, they're losing out um, to polished concrete because there is more polished concrete happening and more companies are moving toward it that maybe used to have VCT or used to have uh, even coatings. Um, but so there, there's more interest in, hey, if I'm going to bid this, let me bid the whole project and I could bid the polished concrete also. And so how do I do this? Well, I have a little bit of experience or maybe even own a grinder um, that I've just been using to flatten flatten humps and floors or what have you or get the floor open or remove a coating before we're putting a, a new um, floor covering on. Um, and so it's becoming a bridge that they're starting to want to cross, which before I think it was like, that's concrete. We work in floor coverings um, or, you know, we're flooring installers. We're not dealing with concrete. We'll leave that alone. And now it's almost becoming, I, I'm finding a lot of your, the floor covering installers are moving into this. Yeah, and I'm they, seeing that as well. Yeah. I think too, it's just. You know, the physical toll that that floor covering takes on your body, uh, you know, polishing the concrete, it's got to be a lot easier on them. I'm not I'm not saying it's easy by any means. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, as far as carrying, you know, I guess you got to get the equipment in. But if you're prepping the floor anyway for flooring, but carrying in 100 boxes of wood or carrying in 30 rolls of pad and then all the rolls of, of the carpet. I mean, it's 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 taxing on your body for sure. Yeah, I don't I mean, think it's that far from floor prep to floor polishing either. I think like yeah. kind of what you're saying, it's you're you're even equipment wise, if you're doing large commercial work, you probably already have a portion of the tools needed to move into polishing. Yeah. Well, we've uh, yeah, we've said it before. You can take a, you know, a really good resilient installer and turn them into a fantastic wood installer. But you can't go vice versa. You can't take a wood guy and make him into a resilient guy. And, and what's the difference? The difference is the floor prep. It yep. all begins with the prep. So, yeah, I yep. can see that. So Yeah, and, and truly um, that gives you a little bit of a leg up on contractors that were janitorial contractors that originally got into polishing concrete. So – Janitorial contractors were some of the first that ever got into polishing um, because they had swing machines. They had, you know, that will sand a floor or whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they thought that that they could move in, but they didn't, they didn't even know what concrete was made of. They didn't know right. concrete was made of aggregate water and, you know, basically fine aggregate or sand and cement. You know, I mean, that's it, right? I mean, unless you're using admixtures. So, I mean, they, the amount of concrete knowledge was zero, and then they were trying to polish concrete. Whereas um, with the prep that uh, everybody's already doing in floor, floor covering installation, um, there's a big leg up on the learning curve that you have for just understanding that the surface needs to be ground open. Even understanding that much, will get somebody so much further than starting as a janitorial um, contract. Mm -hmm. So it, it is more natural. Yeah. And I know we don't have that much time left, but I, I, I would have to assume that, um, that the concrete polishing industry has been affected by the OSHA silicate regulations has really changed the way that they can grind the floors and work in, in occupied buildings or even new construction buildings for that matter. Um, ha has your industry had to adapt the same way the floor covering people have? Um, very much so. I mean, if people were doing it well before and were paying attention and were pretty detailed, it didn't change a lot. Okay, so what it did change is, or if you if you really go by regulations, every time somebody stops the machine and lifts the machine up so they could change tooling, they're supposed to have a dust mask on now. Every time they do that, they're supposed to take and vacuum the bottom of their equipment first, mm. and then vacuum the actual concrete where all the dust fell onto and then take the diamond tooling off 
and then put the new di diamond tooling on and then put the machine down and then once the machine starts they can remove their gas their gas mask excuse me <laughs> dust mask <laughs> That's a little slip. It's, it's about what it is. <laughs> that's what they want now. <laughs> but but so that's like one of the one of the uniquenesses. But it's not a huge difference. It is a little bit, you know, it's an extra step or two there. But if mm -hmm. people are being pretty mindful to begin with, it's not. The other part is that you're supposed to actually clean your floors between steps, which when you if you were a detailed polishing contract, you were supposed to do that anyway, also. Mm -hmm because you don't want to have all that dust just sitting on the floor and everybody kicking it and moving it and trades going through it. And, and it becomes then airborne dust for everybody on the rest of the job site. So, um, the, the idea of, um, cleaning between steps, which technically when I used to teach people to polish concrete, I always taught them to do anyway, but you know, it would be one thing they thought they were saving time if they didn't clean. So now it's, it's more in the mandatory stage where they need to do it if they're trying to actually meet these OSHA standards. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And then the last one, which they should have had a dust mask on to begin with anyway, and they should have had a dust a vacuum attached anyway, is when they're hand grinding and they're on their knees. Mm -hmm. So, And I, I get that people haven't done that just like in many other industries whether they're removing mortar out you know retuck pointing a, uh, a wall exterior you see the dust flying everywhere on a regular oh, yeah. basis okay going around the block <laughs> that it was the right practice or best practice um but you know so that should have been really done anyway a long time ago and so again really shouldn't be changing too many people's worlds um, it's just more paying attention to what they should have been doing all along. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So now you're doing with, uh, with concrete insight and working with, uh, LGM, you're doing more troubleshooting or forensic. Or... So, yeah, I do troubleshooting. So I will come onto a site and there's an overlayment that got poured and they just can't figure out how to polish it without it. Um, constantly scratching or constantly pulling aggregate out or they can't get the color to go in properly and the floor is just not staying um, with color in their floor or um, you know there's a system that somebody specified where they you know an architect specified four different products all to go on to one in one system and they weren't manufactured by the same company and no one's ever put them on top of each other and they <laughs> They basically architects it. don't do that. Come yeah, on. No. Never, <laughs> never made a bad spec. <laughs> so then, so one fish eyes from the other one that it's supposed to penetrate and it, or it never dries or whatever all those things are that happen in everybody's worlds. And those are things that I will come and, you know, kind of look at and I'll be able to either suggest we need to shift a product and come up with a comparable way to do it or give them another um, approach in order for it to function. So those types of things. Um, I do a lot of work with specifications where I look at specifications prior to them um, starting projects. I will um, go out and do um, in the beginning work with them on a mock-up um, to figure out the, the best approach to getting a job done the quickest with the um, best of, best quality and the best productivity so that they're, they're um, in essence, their gross profit stays at how they bid it versus what, <laughs> what usually happens is that the salesman bids it one way and then, then the, they hand the torch off to the crew and the crew's like, this isn't possible. We can't get this done by Wednesday and do everything that was promised. And, you know, that the lack of communication. I'm also doing a lot of work with with companies in their upstart with helping them figure out how to standardize and how what steps they need to take to move through an actual um, concrete polishing project so that as they go, the projects are successful instead of tripping and falling and then calling me later and saying, how come um, this happened? We're in a, we're in a world of hurt. So, um, 
those are ty those are some of some of the things I have fun doing with contractors and really getting them started up on the right foot. Well, it's just, I'm like just amazed could, that they call you on the front end. Usually, it's on the back end. There's <laughs> a lot of back end, um, but the the floor covering installers that are maybe they started in it and they bought some equipment and now they're like feeling over their heads. Um, I've been working with a lot of those lately and I've really been able to help them just kind of get through that learning curve much, much faster to the other side where they're feeling confident that they can approach a project, they can bid it correctly, they're reading the spec correctly, they understand what they really have to do to get there and um, their profits are going up and up, which is, you know, trying to do. <laughs> we, we've been joined by another guest. Who's our new guest there, Sonny? This is my youngest granddaughter, Aubrey. Hi, she was Aubrey. asking where I was, so I said, let her in. <laughs> hey, Aubrey. Say hi. Wave, at least. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, and here comes the other, here comes my other daughter, my granddaughter, <laughs> Emily. Hi. Hi, Emily. It's a family affair. Say hi, Emily. <laughs> you're on the you're on our podcast on Grandpa's podcast. Say hi. Say hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt this. You know, we're, it was actually probably perfect timing. We're coming up on the hour. Jennifer, where can people reach you? Get a hold of you if they've got questions. If they want to get into. Uh, uh, if they need assistance with an upcoming project or have an issue that they're dealing with right now, how can they get a hold of you? Um, uh, either my phone number, 215-828-9797, or my email, which is concrete insight, spelled like job site, I-N-S-I-T-E, at gmail.com. Either one of those, I'd be happy to chat with you and um, see if I can uh, move, start moving the ball in the right direction or move it a little quicker. Sonny, what you got going on? Uh, I'm always doing something, but I really enjoyed this con this conversation, Jennifer. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're able to make it. It was one of those things Peter Craig said, you need to call this person. So when Peter Craig tells me to do something, I do it. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad we did it right away. So it's uh, we had a good time. No, I appreciate it. I, you know, I mean, uh, training is something I love to do and I do a lot of on-site training with contractors as well. And, um, so if there's anything I can help out with people or maybe moving forward, we'll end up putting the concrete polishing into part of one of your four week projects. And That'd I can, great. um, I really enjoy that type of work and love to spend a little more time with both of you. Yep, I'm gonna definitely take you up on that one. I think that's I think that's something that uh, that we could train young people to do, and they would enjoy it. And that's uh, that's the first way to get a, getting someone into our trade is finding something they like to do. So I'm uh, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, that goes right back to what I was saying about that job of the you know, satisfaction of a job when I was painting a house at 15. You know, it's that's right. That type of thing, and and when you see that surface, and when it pops the first time. And that guy's behind the behind that polisher, and their face lights up. You know they're hooked. You got and, them. You got them exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, at that point, they're suckered into the industry. I mean, they're hooked on the industry. Exactly. <laughs> exactly how I look at it. Yeah. It, and they're just and their phones are out, and they're taking pictures, and they're just they're on it. At that point, they're on yep. it, and um, you know when that lights up, you know you know some some part inside lit up. And that's well, you, you said on it twice. You own Shonox uh, fifty cents because you got to <laughs> you got to give them a quarter every time you say on it. That's what? theirs. <laughs> right. well, next time you see them, um, hand them fifty cents, and I'll owe you. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, if you'd like to uh, be on the podcast, you can get a hold of me at Paul at floryupodcast dot com. You can uh, find. Uh, the podcast at floryoupodcast.com, floryoupodcast.com on YouTube, on iTunes, on Google Spotify. Play, everywhere. Hopefully, if you're seeing this, you already figured that out. Please subscribe on YouTube. I'll try not to be one of those annoying YouTubers. Hit that subscribe button on the bottom. <laughs> oh, it's annoying. It's annoying. But, uh, uh, we're on you. Facebook. 
face floor you podcast on Facebook. I think that's where we get the majority of it, the traffic. Yeah. Yeah, but thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Uh, we'll be here next week. If we ever start figuring out guests a week in advance, we'll let you know who's going to be here. <laughs> 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 thank you. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Yeah, right. thank you. I enjoyed it. It's a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Play us out. The family member of his. Above and beyond, I'm a phenomenon.